Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and boy, do I have a great show for you today. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to join me in just a minute. We're going to catch up with him. And then Dr. Bruce Becker is joining the show. He's written a book called True Crimes of the Bible, Scandal, Murder, Adultery, Forgiveness, Faith, and Hope. That's going to be an interesting discussion. And then one of my faves, Dr. Heather Holloman, is going to join me. She's written a new book and um, called That Seed is Saved, and we're going to Find more about your identity in Christ. And she's written her first uh, fiction book, so I'm looking forward to talking to her. But Alex has been busy doing evangelism all summer at youth camps and all over the U.S. of A. He's been nice enough to join me today. Alex, welcome. Well, Bill, it's great to hear your voice. It's great to be back with you. I hope you're having a productive summer. I have. Thank you. I have missed not talking to you, and I'm looking forward to hearing how God's been working through you in some of the summer camps you've been teaching at. Yeah, well, praise God. We just uh, yesterday finished up the fourth of seven uh, biblical worldview youth camps that we're doing all summer long. And uh, then my wife and I took a flight. I I wish you could see the beautiful landscape. I'm in Texas. I'm in San Angelo, Texas, down here. And we're uh, for the next few days visiting some friends because Friday is our anniversary. But uh, the Lord is good. And Bill, we were in South Carolina, Indiana, uh, Georgia. We were going to be in New Jersey, Iowa. Uh, we had a conference in Colorado. But just this week, we had 17 kids pray to accept Christ mm. as their Savior in South Carolina. But what's what's really cool, Bill, is we're doing these camps. And I wish you could see me. I was doing a zip line yesterday, <laughs> honest, Bill. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, doing the zip line over a lake and dropping down into the water, and they were like, "Mr. McFarland, will you do the zip line? None of the grown-ups will do it." And uh, since "grown-up" is not an adjective usually applied to me, of course I did the zip line. But um, y- you might not think that teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers care that much about truth or the gospel, but Bill, they really, really do. And it's been my joy all summer long to be, uh, I and my staff have been in front of young people and we'll, we'll schedule like 50 to 60 minutes to do an open mic Q and A. And very often the question and answer periods will go for two and two and a half hours. And, and they want to know questions like this. Um, is transgenderism real or, um, you know, why why can we not say prayer in school? And I'm, I've had kids ask me questions like, um, they, they've got a friend who brought a Bible to school and it was taken away from them. Why is that? And they get it. I want to tell you, kids, kids get it. I mean, they've got some common questions like, if God made everything, who made God? That's kind of a common question. But more and more, even like middle schoolers, have questions about where our culture is and why why does it seem like it's not allowed to talk about Jesus in public anymore? 
things like that. And of course, uh, I our ministry is committed to promoting the gospel in our culture, but um, it's our joy. I'll put it this way, Bill. We're trying to woke-proof America's I love teens. It. Yeah. And it's interesting, Alex, because I've had, um, I have uh, Heather Holloman on today. I don't know if you know Heather, but she's written a, a book, uh, call, and it's called This Seat is Saved. And it talks okay. about middle, middle schoolers. And, yeah. and it says, I knew there'd be changes in middle school, but I didn't know it was going to be the absolute worst. It started in the lunchroom when I tried to sit down next to my best friend. She said the most terrible words, this seat's saved. Where would I sit mm. now? Was anyone saving a seat for me? And that was just the beginning of my problems. I didn't expect to be bullied or falsely accused. Uh, so, you know, it's th- this middle school age and high school, there's such critical developmental times in the lives of these kids and these minds. So being at these camps and having the opportunity to ask questions and get answers to questions is so important. Yeah, uh, it, it really is. And one of the real places that um, we need to land in in a healthy place is our sense of self and identity. And I, I really believe the the most healthy, the, the true sense of self, sense of identity, and sense of place in the world, Bill, is when we understand our worth and value in terms of Jesus Christ and being made in the image of God. One of the things that we do, we, we talk about questions and, you know, truth and the Bible and the world that we're in. But we also talk about, I mean, this might sound strange, but I do a lecture on what does it mean to be a human being? Mm. And, and you might say, well, duh, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? But, you know, kids need to understand, like, like, the other guest you mentioned that that we have worth and value because we're made in the image of God and the the questions that we pull out of the hat and we have a box at all of our camps we're planning 10 camps next summer we did seven we're, we're in the process of doing seven camps this summer bill we'll do 10 next year lord willing but kids we we say please if you're dealing with emotional struggles like um you know am i am i stupid kids say you know their parents might say you're you're dumb you'll never amount to anything and those things really hurt and we we talk about the fact that you have worth and value and dignity by being made in god's image and you you find your your context and you build your future on your relationship with christ but Bill, some of the anonymous questions that kids put in the the box, and then we read. I mean, there's like not a dry eye in the house mm. because kids, um, they they might have a very very poor self image, or a sense of hopelessness and futility. Now, we've got the answer, and we encourage kids. We we help kids start clubs called Viral Truth Clubs. And uh, they, they who find Christ can reach their friends, and we, we teach them. And, Bill, it's one of the most gratifying things in my life to see kids over this trajectory. One year, they're, they're shy, they're lost. And then in, in the next year, they come to one of our camps, and, and they're spiritually you know, building their emotions and their, their beliefs 
on the Word of God, and then they become leaders, and it's like all of us. I mean, and I know you would concur, and I certainly know this is true in my own life, but we find ourselves in Jesus, our, our, our real self and our true self. The world has a lot to say about, you know, be true to yourself. Let me tell you, your, your true self, your, your best self, and really the, the, the self that experiences joy and fulfillment is, is when we, we make Jesus the Lord of our life. And then we believe what his word says about reality and truth and our own feelings. And so that's, that's what we're doing. I mean, I'm a big kid. I play frisbee golf with them and I do the zip line. But then I and very carefully chosen colleagues and staff, we talk to them about how to thrive as a Christian. And um, I kind of believe that's what our nation needs right now, Bill. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Alex <laughs> McFarland is my guest. Alex, I've always uh, thought it's critical for uh, kids at even the youngest age to start to understand their identity um, as to who they are in Christ. You don't really know yeah. who you are until you know who you are in Christ. And then when you, faced, when you face temptations and trials, you can say, I, I know who I am. This is, this is who I am, and this is what I do. And you can resist things when you know you're grounded in Christ. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm all about achievement and do things and, you know, whether it's sports or academics or succeed, you know, aim high and dream big. But if your worth and value is, you know, tied to performance or accomplishment, where are you when that performance or accomplishment is, is gone? You know, you're not always going to be the best athlete. You're not always going to be top dog. Um, you, you know, fame and money and even relationships can be taken away. And life is full of those ebbs and flows. But the one constant in our life is the Lord. And Bill, there might even be somebody listening right now, and they're just wondering, you know, what am I doing with my life? Um, it doesn't matter what age you are. You could be young. You could be middle-aged. You could be elderly. Um, we say this, and this is not a cliche, but Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Yeah, so true. And Jesus um, will begin to rebuild your life, stabilize your life, bless your life, no matter where you are in the journey. If you turn your life over to Christ, you'll see what a blessing all of life can become. Mm-hmm. The reality, Alex, of thinking when I pray to the Lord, he listens. That's pretty, pretty awesome thought. Yeah, uh, Almighty God. Yeah. Almighty God hears our prayers, loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And while we're talking to these dear listeners, I know because I've, I've counseled a lot of men and they'll say, well, Alex, you don't know about me. I mean, I've procrastinated too long. I've held God at arm's length or I've blown it too many times. Listen, God still loves you, my friend. God's not done with you. If you will turn your life to Christ, open your heart, I don't care how many years you feel like you've been estranged from God, he'll receive you back. A brand new start can happen today. And so I just want to encourage people, make the best decision you'll ever make in your life and become a believer and a follower of Jesus. And uh, 
I'm living proof, Bill, Psalm 37, 4. It says if you commit your way to the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And um, so th that's just what people need to hear. Bill, I've got to ask you, did you see the movie Jesus Revolution back I, in the spring? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you got to see it. It's really special. It's a very, very simple movie. I, I'm old enough. I remember some of those years they called the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. But we need to get back to that, that simple message that... Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. He, he proved his, his identity by rising from the dead. Nobody else but Jesus ever did that. And if you put your trust in Jesus, he will forgive you, restore you, guide you. And as the Bible says, he will be the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love that. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about Alex at his website, alexmcfarland.com. Spell his last name, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. We'll be right back with Alex in just a minute. Let's get studying this summer, starting on June 29th, reading the Bible together. Let's explore what the Bible says about suffering, truth, and godliness as we read together through the book of 2 Timothy. Sign up for the two-week study now and get your free study guide at myfaithradio.com. So glad to be talking to my friend, Dr. Alex McFarlane. Alex is an author of over 20 books, and not that we're talking about books today, but one of the books of his that I love is called 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, Practical Insights. And after doing a lot of summer ministry, talking to kids and answering their questions, it occurred to me that he's answered a lot of questions and a bunch of great questions that he answers in his book. One that I figured I thought I'd ask him this one, and what does it mean that the Holy Spirit indwells a person. Wow. Well, Bill, thanks for having me. And by the way, I uh, I was looking for a way to kind of interject this into the conversation. But, you know, the 100 Bible Questions and Answers book that came out about two years ago, published by Broad Street Publishing, um, I think probably the first place that I, you know, publicly announced that book was on your show. But... Volume two comes out the first of September. Awesome. And um, there are a hundred more Bible questions and answers, again, published by Broad Street in um, Savage, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. That's a great Christian publisher. And this one focuses on uh, questions about family and parenting and uh, marriage and things like that. So um, it comes out September 1st. I was told that I they were going to ship me some author copies, and they, they haven't come yet. When I get my first author copies, I want to send you one. Okay. But um, anyway, folks, if you Google me, like if you go on wherever you buy books, like Christian Book Distributors or Amazon.com, um, and Google my name, you'll find the books the Lord's allowed me to write. But the, the volume two of 100 questions is coming out pretty soon. But you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. How, what, so, what, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit indwells a person? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I think to 
I don't know that we fully adequately understand it, but let me say this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it references the fact that every person really is composed of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And the, the word for body is the word sarx, from which we get sarcophagus, like our, our flesh, our body. And then for soul, it's really psyche. And then the word for spirit is pneuma, the breath of God breathed in us. Now, body, soul, and spirit. Very often we, we talk about the soul will go to heaven or hell, right? But really, biblically, the word is psyche, which means our mind, our intellect, our memories, our emotions. Spirit, pneuma, the breath of God, is that part of us that will live everlastingly. Now, when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, it really means that at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God touches all three parts of our being, body, soul, and spirit. Now, we don't fully get a glorified body till we get to heaven, but when you become a born-again believer, your spirit is regenerated, made alive. That's why, like 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who seals us to the day of redemption. Now, the beautiful thing is, it's almost like in this reverse order, the spirit is redeemed, the soul is renewed. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul talks about the renewing of our mind. More and more, our perspective is conformed to God's way of thinking, uh, the image of Christ, and, and a key, folks, a key to the renewing of your mind is to feed on the Word of God. And, and I honestly believe, Bill, that one of the keys of happiness and overcoming stress or uh, depression is to see life from a biblical perspective. So ever increasingly, our, our, our psyche, our soul, is put more at rest and made joyful as we let the Spirit of God control what we think. Bill, I've, I've even talked to people how, as they grow in the Lord, um, things like anger issues begin to get resolved and just, you know, we beat ourselves up in so many ways, but um, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God means that the Lord is with us 24-7 and forever is working on us, making us not only what God wants, but I love what Garrison Keillor once said. He said, the will of God is so good that it, it is what we would have wanted for ourselves if we had only been wise enough to know it. Mm. And so here's the thing. We take inventory so that we, we want to make sure that nothing in our life is, is hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to obstruct the work of the Holy Spirit. What can obstruct the work of the Holy Spirit? Unforgiveness, um, unbelief, uh, willful disobedience. And so beautiful thing is we can have as much of God as we want in fact, we probably do have as much of God as we want, because if we wanted more, he would fully and more and more give himself to us. So I want to encourage everybody, myself included, 
experience the joy of the Spirit-controlled life. Such good words, Alex McFarland. So, with the second edition coming out, can you give me an, a sample of a question and an answer to what's going to be in the next book coming out in September? Well, um, we do talk a lot about family okay. and healthy conflict resolution, and um, we, we talk about some of these uh, challenging Bible issues like, um, for example, Abraham, on at least two occasions, lied about Sarah, mm-hmm. said Sarah was his sister. I mean, uh, oftentimes I thought, Abraham, great biblical figure, he's not going to win husband of the year. Really. <laughs> no. no. And said, here's how we can safely pass through Egypt. You go get in Pharaoh's harem. I'm like, dude, what are you thinking to tell your wife to do that? But questions like that, what, some of the Old Testament challenges like that. And then we, we talk about, you know, why the church matters. Um, there are some questions that just weren't even around when we wrote the first book, you know, four years ago, and mm-hmm. it came out about uh, two and a half years ago. I mean, that's how much the world is changing. One of the questions that we deal with that people ask, should Christians um, engage themselves in politics and moral issues and things like that? Mm -hmm. And um, I was at lunch today, Bill. We were talking with some friends, and in John 14, remember, the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we know uh, the building of heaven and the getting it ready for the bride, Jesus has that under control. Uh, we can't build heaven. We can think about going there, and we can maybe help get it populated by evangelizing people. But something we can do is be salt and light down in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think we're supposed to do that. Yeah. And uh, we're, we we can't just say, okay, evil men will wax worse and worse. Let's just let's just retreat and let the world crash and burn. No, I, I know the Lord is coming back. And as C.S. Lewis said in 1954, time as we know it will one day be over. But until the Lord calls us home or the Lord comes back, we've got to stand for truth, fight for what's good and moral and true and right. And a lot of the book is a challenge for people to do that. Mm, Awesome. So thanks to a, a listener named Joyce, I know where you're going to be coming up, I think, next week. You're at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we, uh, Angie and I, and Angie's on the road with me. We're we're in the beautiful San Angelo, Texas, right now, and I've Lovely. got the privilege. I'll I'll be speaking to a youth group tonight, and um, probably some adults there too. And then Angie and I, Bill, you, you'll appreciate this. I got to tell you this, Bill, because you and I are music we got buddies. 30, Thirty seconds. All right, I'll be quick. Friday, we're going to go over to Clovis, New Mexico, and see Buddy Holly's studio. Oh, fun. How cool is that? Oh. But yes, we're going to Cedar Falls Bible Conference. It's like in its 103rd year. Um, Google Cedar Falls Bible Conference. I have the privilege. I'm the keynote speaker this year, nice. and it's a wonderful thing. And anybody listening out there in Iowa, come see us Sunday through Wednesday at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Fantastic. Alex, have a wonderful week, and blessings on you next week in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Hey, let's visit again soon. Look forward to it. All right, God bless you. Dr. Alex McFarland's been my guest. Go learn about Alex at his website, alexmcfarland.com. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Bruce Becker is joining the show. He's written a book called True Crimes of the Bible. It should be interesting. Be right back. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Oh, I love a good catchy title, and I've got one for you today. One of the questions I want to ask is, what do crimes recorded in the Bible, crimes that were committed thousands of years ago, have to do with you? Our guest today is Dr. Bruce Becker. He's written a book called True Crimes of the Bible, Scandal, Murder, Adultery, Forgiveness, Faith, and Hope. You see that book come across your desk, and it does get your attention. So we're going to learn all about all of that today. Bruce, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, just because I'm love to get to know you a little bit. Well, I have been married for 43 years to my wife, Linda. Uh, we have uh, three kids, uh, all grown adults, and then there are six grandkids in the mix, and um, we love them so much. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Professionally, I graduated from seminary and served a couple of congregations, served a denomination, uh, and I've been with Time of Grace uh, Ministry since 2009. All right. Well, let's just say uh, your book got my attention, and I I do want to start to hear about um, how we can answer that question about crimes that, you know, were committed thousands of years ago. What, What does that have to do with us? Well, when I was researching this, uh, one concept uh, just, uh, you know, touched my heart, and it was that God didn't react to all of these crimes in the Bible in the exact same way each time. And it had to do with the relationship that the criminal had uh, with the Lord God. If it was one where there was no relationship, there was not faith, there was a rebellion, uh, God uh, responded differently than someone like uh, Moses or mm-hmm. King David. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we could start uh, with maybe the first crime recorded in the Bible, which I think was Cain, wasn't it? Uh, that's as far as I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's talk about that. Well, Cain was uh, obviously the brother of Abel. And we learn more about Cain in the New Testament than we do in the Old Testament. Uh, Because in the New Testament, it gets at his motives uh, for the crime that he committed. It all started out with uh, offerings, uh, offerings to God. And Cain brought his offering. Abel brought his offering. God accepted Abel's, didn't accept Cain's. And that caused Cain to have some anger issues. And so uh, the Lord warned him. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Uh, don't, you know, don't let him in. And Cain eventually uh, just had a heart of, uh, of dissatisfaction, hatred for his brother Abel and took him out into a field and killed him. Mm-hmm. So we have the first murder. You know, um, Bruce, I sometimes have to laugh when I see a bumper, the bumper sticker that says, hate is not a family value. I always think, well, when there was only one family, family on the earth, there was a murder inside that family. Which started with started with hate. Yeah. Um, hatred toward God, and also then hatred toward uh, his, his brother Abel. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Moses. Maybe uh, you would talk a little bit about Moses and his crime. 
Moses' life is divided into three sections of 40 years each. And the first 40, he is living in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh, uh, raised by the pharaoh's daughter. Somewhere along the line, God uh, must have told him that he was going to be the one to lead uh, the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt and, uh, you know, that they would be set free. So one day with uh, Moses is out and he sees this Egyptian uh, taskmaster beating on uh, an Israelite man. And so Moses goes over there, kills him buries him in the sand after looking both ways to see if anybody saw this and figured that was it. Mm. But shortly after that, there were two other Israelites uh, quarreling, arguing, and and uh, Moses comes up to them and they say, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Ah, words out. Yeah, busted. And when Pharaoh heard about it, uh, he decided that he was going to kill Moses uh, and then Moses fled uh, to Midian uh, for the next 40 years before God finally got around in God's timetable to calling Moses to go back to Egypt and lead his people out. Dr. Bruce Becker is my guest. We're chatting about his new his book, uh, True Crimes of the Bible. Now, when we talk about um, murder, uh, murder like what Moses did, and maybe we can move on to another murder, which was committed by King David, you know, it's, uh, we, we always think of it as sin. Sometimes we don't characterize it in our brain as a crime. What are your thoughts on that? On the fact that, uh, murder is a sin, a, a crime, you know, Jesus, uh, we, we have a, one of the commandments obviously is, uh, you shall not murder. Right, But Jesus, Jesus took that a step further, which gives us more insight into the source of murder, what's, where it starts. And Jesus said, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And so hatred of the heart uh, in God's eyes is the same as murder. Yeah. And it often then leads to murder. If there's hate, like in the example of Cain, it will lead to murder. Bruce, how do we... How do we process that as believers today to, to think that if you even have that thought in your heart, you've committed murder? That that puts a lot of us on the hot seat, doesn't it? It puts me on the hot seat. Me I, too. And, and, many, and many others, because those are, you know, we, we don't always control the, the thoughts that are in our, in our mind and in our heart. They, they just spring up. And uh, God simply wants us to take it seriously. And so when I get up... Uh, or I, before I go to bed and I've been angry, I've had hatred in, in my heart, that uh, I need to repent of that, uh, make, make amends with the person that, uh, you know, I, that hatred was directed at, uh, and then be assured of God's total forgiveness for, uh, for that sin of hatred. Mm-hmm. I know when we repent, we should be turning and going the opposite direction. We should be doing a 180. I sometimes think to myself, Am I really committing to that when I ask for forgiveness? Am I am I doing a one eighty? Meaning tomorrow I'm not going to have those fe- <laughs> those feelings, or I'm going to be able to better control them tomorrow. I don't well, always you do the one. Go ahead. I don't always come to that conclusion that that's going to be the result. Well, we struggle with that every every day. We ask for God's help to to do that. We make the one eighty turn. 
And the reality is, is somewhere down the, down the line, we're going to probably turn around again. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nathan confronted David about his crime, uh, both of adultery and, and murder. Um, but then he also prophesied David about other consequences that would come to him and his family because of his disobedience. So his crime had, had a greater impact and implications on his family, didn't it? Yeah, that's one of the, uh, I think in the conclusion of the book, uh, I talk about four uh, big takeaways. And that's one of them is, is that our crimes, the things that we do wrong, can have long lasting ramifications uh, for our family, our friends, our, you know, our business partners, whoever, whoever it might be. And to understand that there are consequences and there are ramifications or the whenever I disobey uh, God's will for my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, chat about some other interesting people. Like, um, let's talk about uh, Paul. I think I think the listeners would love hearing about Paul. Probably the, in my opinion, the biggest, uh, greatest example of God's grace uh, in the entire New Testament. Uh, because here you have Saul, uh, who is, he describes himself in one of his letters as being, you know, a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, faultless. I mean, he was he was the best Pharisee that you could, could ever want. And so when he heard that this Jesus guy was um, telling that there was a different way uh, to get right with God, namely to believe in him, uh, Saul just, he couldn't stand that. And so he started a persecution. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen after Stephen made his confession of, uh, of faith and really gives us a great review of the history of the Old, Old Testament. Uh, and then we're told in uh, the book of Acts that that day uh, persecution broke out. And Saul uh, had, he was one of them. He got letters to go to Damascus and uh, then grab some of the Christians there, bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be thrown into, into prison. And there on the road to Damascus is where the Lord Jesus himself appeared to Saul. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, it, took a, it took a while, a few days. Uh, Saul lost his sight, and uh, that sight was restored. And then he went into training, seminary training, out in the, in the desert, uh, and he eventually became uh, what I would consider the greatest missionary of the first century. Mm-hmm. How many years was he training in the desert? Was it about three? I, uh, two comes to mind, but okay. I, I, I'm not sure it's uh, that specific. You know, it might be rounded off, uh, rounded up or down. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not that great of a student. I would have needed more than two or three. I don't know about you, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I, I went to more years of seminary than uh, just two. I, I need <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the Herods. They're quite a quite a gang. I found uh, in doing in writing uh, my book here, I found the, looking at the Herods to be the most interesting because there are many different factors at work here, and the one that I probably didn't appreciate was is, uh, those Herods and those kings, Roman rulers, they lived in fear. 
They lived in fear of having somebody overthrow them and assassinate them. And that comes out in Herod the Great, who was the Herod at the time of uh, Jesus' birth. And it was out of fear when he heard that there's this king of the Jews uh, who is being born in Bethlehem, uh, you know, he wanted to wipe uh, wipe him out, and so he wiped out all the baby boys uh, of Bethlehem. Uh, one another thought that that uh, I guess I didn't know, but Herod was considered to be the king of the Jews uh, because he was a Jew um, in his family lineage, and uh, he was appointed to be the king because he had this Jewish background and probably thought that he could handle uh, the Jewish nation uh, better than some Roman guy. Uh, so that was another thing I, I found interesting. But the fear that that he had and then that Herod Antipas had, um, you know, the fear even of disappointing his guests at this big banquet that he that he threw so that in the end he even took the head of John the Baptist because that's what his uh, stepdaughter wanted mm-hmm. Wow Dr. Bruce Becker is my guest his book is true crimes of the Bible now in his book he he takes a look at 10 crimes in the Bible some are familiar like some of the ones we've already chatted about and others may not be to you but uh, he takes each crime and then investigate who committed it and how God responded to the to the criminal and what we can learn from it. I always like when we can walk away with practical application. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to do some more digging. Um, again, uh, Dr. Bruce Becker, his book is called True Crimes of the Bible. Scandal, Murder, Adultery, Forgiveness, Faith, and Hope. Looking forward to those. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Glad to be back with Dr. Bruce Becker. His book is called True Crimes of the Bible. All right, uh... Bruce, let's talk about JL. That is an interesting story. And I don't know if too many people know the story, but maybe you could uh, explain it for everyone. The, uh, if you think about Deborah, who was the uh, prophet and the judge in the Old Testament, this uh, occurred uh, during uh, her uh, time being the, the judge mm-hmm. uh, and the prophet. So anyway, uh, Sisera is um, the enemy commander and going to war uh, against Israel. And Deborah, uh, the prophet, goes uh, to Barak, who is the general for the Israelites, and uh, says, you got to go and take care of Sisera. Got to defeat him. God wants to defeat him because he's been uh, troubling uh, the Israelites for long enough. Uh, Barak was not uh, enthused about going himself, and he simply said, Deborah, if you go, I'll go. Mm-hmm. And Deborah said, okay, that's fine, uh, but uh, you're not going to get the glory uh, in this battle today. And uh, long story short, um, 
Sisera, the, the army of Sisera was defeated because God stepped in miraculously and caused some uh, extraordinary things to happen, which resulted in the um, defeat of Sisera's army. Sisera, however, flees. And he goes to a house that he had some connection with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the past, uh, Jael's uh, father uh, had uh, made a compact, a treaty, uh, with uh, with Sisera. And so uh, in Old Testament times, in ancient times, uh, the host of uh, the home of the tent or wherever you were living uh, guaranteed protection uh, for anybody that came to that home. So Sisera is thinking, oh, I'll, I'll have protection here. Well, he was tired from his battle. And so uh, Jael, uh, Gave him some uh, milk to drink and uh, let him lay down on a on a mat, and uh, then she took a tent peg and uh, drove it through his temple hmm. and killed him. <laughs> it's quite a story. It is. Yeah. Um, every time I hear that story, I think this this is a this is a tough one to to stomach. It's a very gruesome death. Yeah, it is a gruesome death, uh, but it was also the, this was war going yeah. on. Um, and so, and I point that out in that, in that chapter that this is, this is a battle. This That's is true. the enemy. Yeah. And like wars today, uh, you know, there are two, two sides to it and, and people die. Hmm. Bruce, what about uh, Ahab and Jezebel? They're even worse than I thought uh, before <laughs> I wrote wrote the chapter on on them. Uh, Jezebel uh, was not an Israelite. Uh, she was uh, up from on the coast, the northwest uh, coast uh, from from Israel, and so her whole background was with uh, idols, with uh, false gods, and so she brought that influence into that palace. Um, and, and Ahab was, you know, he was the king up in Samaria, Israel, Israelite king. And uh, he had a neighbor uh, by the name of Naboth. And Naboth uh, had a vineyard. Uh, in fact, it's probably more like a winery. And I, I believe just, you know, in the last year, there were some ruins found that uh, led uh, uh, archaeologists to figure that this was Naboth's vineyard. And it was it was big, and it would have been a, a winery. Uh, Ahab wanted the the property so he could have a vegetable garden uh, just outside of his palace there in Samaria. Um, and when Na- uh, Naboth said, I, "I can't do that. Uh, this is my family's uh, property, and it's I I can't sell it to you. It's got to be handed down to the next generation because that's what God uh, required." Well, uh, Ahab started to sulk, and uh, Jezebel said, "What kind of king are you?" And so she managed uh, to say, "Hey, let's let's have a banquet and let's invite Naboth." And at that banquet, uh, Jezebel had hired uh, a couple of scoundrels uh, to bring false charges against uh, Naboth. And as a result of those false charges, um, uh, he was taken out and put to death. Uh, and so. Ahab got his vineyard. One interesting thing, though, is always in the Bible, it refers to it as Naboth's vineyard, not Ahab's. Hmm. So, Bruce, let's start trying to 
walk away with some practical applications. You know, one of the things I always think of is people that don't fear the Lord can do some pretty horrific things because they don't, they don't fear God. I see that in, in the world today. People truly don't have a fear of the Lord, do they? That, that is correct. And when you don't have a, a fear of God or you place yourself above God, that I can do what I want to do, that just leads down a, a terrible path. Uh, and, you know, you can look to the examples in the Old and New Testament of where people people did that and realize that we're capable of the same thing. If we walk away from our God, if we don't fear him, if we don't care what he says, um, we can end up in the same in the same place. Mm-hmm. So what would be some applications we can walk away with today from from your your research and your study of your your book, uh, True Crimes of, of the Bible? Think of David. He was a man after God's own heart. That's how God describes him. And yet look at what he did. Uh, adultery, uh, murder. Uh, and then murder just followed his family for generations. And to realize that even a man after God's own heart can do this, we have the capability of doing it too. Mm-hmm. Could I ever commit murder? It's possible. I need to I need to realize that's just objectively true, that we all have the potential to do that. So what do we do so we don't go down that path? Well, that's our relationship with our God. And a relationship that continues to be uh, strengthened uh, through uh, our relationship with Him, our reading of the of the Bible, our connecting with other Christians to help hold me accountable. Those are all things that we can do so that we don't go down that potential path uh, that will lead to uh, disaster uh, for us and even disaster for our souls. Yeah, Bruce, have you? I'm sure you've seen stories or people that have been interviewed on TV that did something kind of out of character and it's, it's a crime, but they'll come out and say, you know, I just want you to know that's not who I am. You know, if you talk about, we all have the capability of doing pretty much anything. It's really kind of true, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, to to respond to uh, a statement like that of that's not who I am that's certainly not who uh, God wants me to be. It's certainly not who I want to be, but I did it. Uh, and that requires uh, confession. That requires, re- you know, repentance and, and, and a turning, a turning away from that. But uh, it, it's true. We all have a, a heart that uh, still have, you know, tendencies uh, to lead us down a, a wrong path. And we, we just need to be aware of that. And we have that capability. Mm-hmm. And we have thoughts that can can turn into action. So really our thought life has got to be, we got to be speaking truth to ourselves and, and, and not letting thoughts turn into actions. Is that fair? Yeah, because the New Testament talks about that out of the heart come murders, adulteries, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it all starts in the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, idea though that you can godly people can can do terrible terribly sinful things and you know because we see it all around us with people who are in pastoral roles who have um, moral failures and all kinds of things and we go yeah uh, you have to be very very uh, 
connected to God's word and account, accountability and everything else, just so you don't end up taking some of these thoughts and turning them into actions. And that's just a reminder that, uh, you know, we, we still live in a broken, broken world, uh, in a sinful world. We still have an adversary who's trying to uh, lead us away from our relationship with Jesus. Um, those are all, all things that, that exist, the sign of heaven. Yeah. And the adversary is very patient and will wait for an opportunity. So we have to be on guard. I had a, uh, uh, seminary uh, prof once uh, uh, say that, you know, Satan, uh, he gets up and just puts on a different suit each morning. Uh, <laughs> he, he never comes, you know, at you the, the same way. Yeah. Uh, he'll try different ways, but he's always going to come after you. Yeah. And I think I've also heard too, he, he understands your patterns and your history and uh, not that he's uh, omnipresent, but he certainly has an awareness of how you live your life and what you do and how he might be able to interfere with your, your world. Yeah. He's not going to come after my strengths. He's going to come after my weaknesses. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Thank you uh, for coming on the show. It's been nice meeting you, Dr. Bruce Becker. I look forward to uh, uh, going through your book some more. I've enjoyed everything I've read so far. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's a, it's a real privilege and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. Dr. Bruce Becker is my guest. His book is called True Crimes of the Bible. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Heather Holloman is going to join the program. We're going to talk about her new book, This Seats Saved. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.